We love you all the same. We love all our gringos. It's all good. Why does it now it feels like I'm <laughs> Yeah, I might have to take this hat off. Jenny just put an alpaca wool sweater on, and I am like dying of heat in a short sleeve shirt, shorts, and a hat. <laughs> As Ryan knows, I can do that because it's presently three degrees in here with the AC. So this, wow. the sweater is actually it, helping. It, it should be. I, what I think I remember is that it should be three degrees in there, but you keep jacking the thermostat up to 15. Yeah. I will attest to the fact that this is so off topic, but I will attest to the fact that it is currently 76 degrees in our Wow. Yeah, that was <laughs> madness. Wow, that meant Jenny. I don't know. Look, I 72. That's where I'm at. Oh, my 100%. God. 72 is perfect. perfect. <laughs> Listen, this is a different podcast. I'd settle for 74. Uh, it is what it is. All right. So your mission spinoff, your thermostat. <laughs> been like two months three six uh the roots of chicha volume one alonzo's pick this time it's the first time we've done a compilation album this is our first I compilation think, album. i think it is nice we went outside the country for this one yeah uh, and yeah have we Alonzo's gone out, have we gone outside the country the non-english speaking country I guess. Did, I I thought you all, didn't you all do that Turkish compilation album, or was that just that a was an part of it? Yeah, we just yeah. played some Turkish, weird Turkish psych. But I think this is the first non-English Your Mission pod, long overdue. And the reason I picked this is, so this is music that I've just been infatuated with since the late 2000s, I want to say. And I feel like also, there's a lot of picks that we've had that are like adjacent to this music in some weird way. Like some of the psychedelic elements, like it's a different, it's a different like spirit and a different percussion and a different rhythm. But some of the psychedelic stuff, I feel like really aligns with some of the stuff we've done before. So that's why I picked it. And, and also, okay, let me just tell you one more story and then maybe Chris can like uh, elaborate. So I'm Peruvian in origin, so is Chris. I remember I first heard this music at a party in Philly when I was living in Philly. I never, I think I had heard something like this in Peru, but never really, never really paid attention. But I was at a party and this was, this kind of music was playing in the background. And I asked the person who was throwing the party, what was this? And I was like completely surprised and blown away that it was Peruvian. Because it just didn't really sound like anything I'd heard that was Peruvian before. And so I just, started digging and digging and at some point like I found this compilation and then I found other compilations and so then I went to Peru I want to say in 2009 2010 and of course I put all the records in the so I went to Peru like around then and I wrote a list of like bands and groups that I wanted to find the original vinyls of and I got a bunch including yeah Los Destellos which is part of this compilation in fact, the first song I, on this record, Elena, I think is on this compilation. Um, and I got Los Diablos Rojos. Okay. I don't know. Is the cover TOS? No, it's not. She's covered enough. And uh, I got, I don't know, man. I just got a bunch of stuff. A bunch of cool records 
from that time. It was weird because when I went down there and I was asking about these bands, like the guy at the record store, of which there were very few. There was like, I found three stores that sold vinyl back then. The guy was just confused as to why the hell I was interested in this music. <laughs> just like, what? You like that? And yeah, and then I actually had to buy another piece of luggage to take back, take back home because of all the vinyl. I got 45s too and all kinds of stuff. And then I digitized all of them. And then for a long time, there was, I felt like I was like the repository of this music that wasn't on any streaming services or wasn't on YouTube or was like, like little singles were like on these compilations, but not like the original like album, vinyl, LPs that they were came out on. So I digitized all of them. Anyway, I've just been obsessed with this music and I wanted to share it with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've listened to this particular album and dug into a couple other compilations. So I remember showing up on like almost every compilation I found. But yeah, it's interesting to see like full albums of this and nice to know that you've cut that collection. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it's become less like special because now all these things are out there everywhere, apparently, I was looking up, or at least many of them. I mean, I think there is certainly a push for people to return to owning things physically because as we've learned over the last 10 years of streaming, things come and go, which was not the agreement originally. <laughs> like, all right, we're publishing this digitally and it's going to stay there. And that's that obviously hasn't been the case. So who knows? Because if what Ryan is saying is true and like the popularity of these particular discs is is increasing a lot of these publication houses are shuttered and they haven't existed in 30 or 40 years but if somebody ends up buying the rights and wants to yank them off of Spotify and Apple Music that could happen so yeah no I think you're hitting on something that's right on which is this like preservation of the this stuff because yeah when everyone's streaming everything and no one actually owns anything or has like physical copies of anything you're basically just depending on the streaming service. I think this is more known about in movies, right? Like where it'll be a movie that came out 30, 40 years ago that you cannot see it on any streaming service because of rights issues or whatever. But if you happen to have the laser disc or the VHS or whatever the hell, that's the only way you're going to watch it. Yeah. There was a, there's a movie called The Devils by Ken Russell. Um, it's a famous British director. And it's like about the Inquisition. There's like all this weird sex stuff and stuff like that. Oh, and, that's, yeah, about the nuns in France. Yeah, yeah. And Katie wanted to see it for research purposes, believe it or not. And <laughs> yeah, I had the only, there wasn't, there isn't, you can't watch it on streaming in any kind of form that's not cut to shit. That's one of those where I think the Criterion channel last year around Halloween released it yeah. on their streaming service yeah. and then yanked it right back off. But yeah, yeah, The Devils is a very famous example of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it just it depends on the whims of capitalists, and for me, that's a it's a tough that's a tough one to trust. So I love that I do have these vinyls, and I love that I digitize them and I share them with friends and stuff like that, and it's all good. Jenny and Ryan, I'm really curious what you guys thought about this stuff. Is this the first time you really listened to this stuff? Yes, for me. I, th I think Chris has played it like a time or two before, but it's probably the first time that I've had it and had to pay like like 
It's more than background. I was actually paying like close attention to what was going on. We went on a little drive yesterday and we played it there the whole three way. Three times, yeah. Three, three times the whole way and back and then just to get a nice refresher in. But it is the first time that I think I was like actively listening instead of like passively listening mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. But we had a big long discussion yesterday about how <laughs> I was like, all right, but is this cumbia? And then Chris was like, it's different from cumbia. And then like, I was like, but how is it different? And I was like trying to wrap my head around like where this exists in the musical space and like yeah. something I can like latch onto. And it was like, because of the way that it is. And I was like, no, that works for those of you who are familiar with this, but for the clueless white brain, I don't. So I tried to figure it out. And I was reading on Wikipedia that there's, it was like the combination of like cumbia but also mixed with with like and like more native andean music or peruvian music and i actually was listening to some examples of that and i think that actually be like might be like slightly more my style than i, th I think the cumbia part of this is less appealing to me but the psychedelic part of it and the there's a word for it that i've since lost i'm gonna have to find it again mm. but what is it i think it's here on my youtube tab the why, I'm gonna. Why not? Why Yeah. I think that the that aspect, the Huino aspect, and the psychedelic aspect, I think I'm actually slightly more interested in, and maybe a little bit less on the cumbia part. Got it. But it, it's a cool. Like some of these are actually very cool combinations. Some of them I think were a little more perplexing. Like I was like, this just sounds like regular. It's a hard Re thing like to regular explain. cumbia or. Yeah, and I think like that, like the more I listened to it, the more the psych kind of became apparent. It was harder to hear at first. Like it was like, but then I was like, oh no, it's actually here in most of these songs. What is it? Like Linda Nina, I think, is one of those that I was just like, Nina, what? Nina. I think this one is just regular, maybe. <laughs> kind of Let's play it. Also, for a hot minute, I was like, man, Linda is getting around. Like Linda has <laughs> met all these guys, and then I was like, no, that just means pretty. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think like one of the big things is you have to consider when this music was being produced. Like the late 60s, early 70s was like the first time that electric instruments really hit the popular scene in a lot of these countries. Like you have a, at that point, 400 year tradition of acoustic guitar and acoustic instruments, obviously percussion, but late 60s was when electric guitars in particular, as well as effects paddles, really started becoming available, not just in the States and in Europe, but across the world. And you see this proliferation of electric music. And so like, psychedelia could be as much as just like putting a wah-wah paddle, <laughs> putting a wah-wah yeah. paddle on your guitar. That was psychedelic in, in 68. I think the context is really important. And I, it's just, I guess maybe also too, I know what your quote unquote basic cumbia sounds like. And for me, like when I heard this stuff, I was like, what the hell? Like Farfisa organ and weird, like weird effects on the guitars and a lot of just, I, it just, it for me, it was just like very, what is this? It's, it's like a 60s cycle. Can you help define like what your traditional Colombian cumbia? I don't. Yeah. Is? Okay. Like, yeah. It's, it's hard, hard to explain, but like the beat is really important, right? Like the. Yeah. I, I don't. It's like a syncopated rhythm that you're gonna hear in every one of these songs. It's a lot of it's a lot of triplets, right? Like. It's called the clave, which is common in Afro-Cuban music, because like cumbia is Afro-Cuban music interpolated through Colombia. 
yeah. not to say that Colombia isn't part of the Caribbean diaspora, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it is literally the edge, defining as the end of the Caribbean Sea. But it is, yeah, a triple pulse, and then like also the instruments that you're using matter yeah. too. And so, like, also, I think in a lot of cumbias, like the lead get instrument is in the guitar in general. That's another kind of innovation for a lot. Some of these songs where it's very clearly like the lead is the weirdo psychedelic electric guitar. What's weird is like cumbias have evolved in and of itself. If you ask somebody in 2022 what cumbia is, it's gonna sound way more electronic than any of this stuff, right? Yeah, cumbia has really come to define, not so much now, I think now people are, we're like in a regenesis of reggaeton and there's that other sub subgenre that I'm, well, there's a lot more like reggaeton and bachata and say like Bad Bunny, like being like the biggest Latino artist out right now. Like he, he relies much more on that and like ballads, bachata, you know, corridos, like things yeah. of that nature. And this stuff is always cyclical because I think if you look back like 10 years ago, cumbia and like cumbia criolla was the big sound that was coming out of Latin America or like the modern interpretations of it. Yeah. And it'll probably come back because it's just such an infectious rhythm. For sure. It, there's, there's a bunch of cumbia DJs in Peru. And yeah, the music sounds has like elements of like dub stuff. It's like very, <laughs> it's just, it, it keeps evolving and growing. It's funny you mentioned Bad Bunny because I have a friend that from from my Philly days who's Colombian, and I remember like when I was down, he was all about the bachatas, right? And so the how do I explain bachata? We, we'll have to probably listen to some in the after party, but a lot of like really, I mean, it's sultry ballads with like syncopated rhythm. I don't know. It's hard to explain. If I hear it, I know what it is, but. He was all about the bachatas, and I just, I can't, in general, fuck with the bachata. I like, I can't, I just, I don't know, it just, it sounds cheesy as hell to me. Whereas this music sounds cool as hell to me, and that's probably just like my musical DNA of, I like weirdo guitars and stuff like that. Sorry, I don't want to get us off path, but just mm. before I forget and before we move on, have y'all ever heard Womp Grass? What? No. <laughs> I think I've heard Womp Grass. I think you've played Womp Grass for me at some point. It sounds familiar. I, Is it like Dove, I, I some sort of dove Step have, Bluegrass? Uh, Aaron told me about it once, and every year on my Facebook memories, I'm reminded because I had to. The, the explanation was so great, I posted it as a video. And he was like, It's Dove Step Bluegrass? But the Thanks. explanation was. He's like, and then you got, and it was like such a great explanation that I see. Wow, dude, that's great. I'm gonna have to see if there's a good Wombgrass album out there for Yeah, is it like kind of Cotton Eye Joe inspired or what? I'm just trying to think. I hope not. I hope it's not that. I'm just trying to think. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so anyway, also, hey, I don't know, Chris, what your sense of this is, but okay, my parents. For example, they don't like this music. Oh, they don't? No. Um, and it's funny because I remember playing some of this stuff for them and they're like, eh, eh. And, uh, and then I played it for my cousins. My younger cousins are like coming, they dig it. But like the cousins that were my age, they're just like, yeah, it's musica del, del micro. And what that means is, okay, so in Peru, public transportation, it's not really a thing. So, you know, like people will get these like micro buses, right? And they'll just run routes and the routes will just be on the side of the, like the side of the vehicle. 
And then like you just hop on, you just like hop on and pay whatever it needs to be paid. Like I've been on those a couple times, but not any time recently just because I'm too freaking big. I don't fit in the micros. But they're just, it's just people don't have vehicles and you need to get around and there's no reliable public transportation. So people just make in, it's like ingenuity. But anyway, so that's their whole like conception of this music. It's just like weird micro music, right? So is this just like the music that plays on a lot of those buses? Is I think that- it, maybe that was the, maybe that was the case at some point. I don't know. Okay. In 2022, who knows? Sure. But, but yeah, but, but that's become the like it's like our elevator music. Yeah, I guess I music, think it's I think mu- it, music in a place see, that you just hear the same junk there all over. I think it's a little bit more classist and racist than that, if I'm being completely frank. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I got, like, I so, the, so I got the least classist racist guess. <laughs> so you gotta understand that this. Okay, what I love about this music is it is music from the bottom up. It's these a lot of these groups, many of them originating from the Amazon, or at least the people came from the Amazon and be, played a lot of this music in Lima. And so the thing about, oh man, I'm sorry. A lot of explanation, but that, just bear with me, okay? Lima, when my parents were very young, was a different kind of city than it is now, or even than it was like 20, 30 years ago. It's a lot of migration that happened from the rest of the country. And yeah, it's now half the population of the country lives in one city. And, and that's because it's a kind of criminally no infrastructure, no support, no wealth in the rest of the country. And There's also the 20 year secret civil war and uh, all that stuff, you know, the low key genocide. There's a lot of political history that you have to get into to explain why and how that ended up being the reality that we find ourselves in. And so the people that rode the that rode the micros are there were a lot of the folks that were the immigrants to Lima from the rest of the country. And and so like for them, like my dad will never say admit this in this way exactly, but for them it's like low class stuff. It's like <laughs> riding the micro, you don't ride the micro if you have a car, you just drive your car. Yeah, or you can call a taxi. Or yeah, you call exactly. a taxi. So riding the micro is like a kind of a And so to me like that's what all this stuff represents for me is on some level is me trying to actively reject that crap because this music sounds fucking dope it's cool as shit it was much cooler than and i've listened to some of the music my parents listened to which was like more kind of american oriented rock from peru this shit sounds way cooler just sorry this shit sounds way cooler and i think one of the things that for me was always uncomfortable and sucks and actually continues to suck about every time I go to Peru is like this outrageous sort of classist racist behavior that is like right under the surface at all times everywhere and uh, very few people seem to see it and talk about it and make a big fuss about it at least within my family and it's just like completely outrageous and disgusting to me. So, okay, yeah, so there you go. It's my confessions right here. Yeah, yeah. I think just to add on to that, because I don't want you to bear that burden on your own. Yeah. It is something that, like, I think we are primed for in this country. This is something that people talk about all the time, especially if you have family in Latin America. I don't know how prevalent this is now, but, like, back then, unless I haven't spent time in Latin America in five years, but you often get asked, oh, why are Americans so obsessed with race? And it's you can't avoid it up here. 
because segregation is still segregation, even though it's not legal anymore, technically speaking here. But like, there's a lot of stuff in Latin America that just goes unaddressed in the way that we have these public conversations in the United States that just does not happen in Latin America. And I think like there has been a much bigger push in the last couple of years to really open that up and talk about colorism and racism and classism across Latin America, which you're talking about. It's still all of Latin America is a fraction of what the United States is in, in, in terms of population. But I think it's worth recognizing that like Peru itself is interesting because you have these three bands of geography running up and down the country. You have the coast, which is very dry, very arid, but it's also where almost all of the major cities are located. Then you have the mountains, which is like very unique culture, a lot of history, and then you have the rainforest. And so each of those is obviously going to have very different cultures, but it also means that in a place like Lima, to say nothing of immigration, which has played a huge role in the city's history, which a lot of people from outside of Peru don't realize, but the amount of like intersectionality that happens in Lima, especially in working class communities is insane. The size of the, a lot of people don't know that there's like a huge Asian population, East Asian population in Lima. There's a considerable Jewish population in Lima. There's obviously, and then all these people that are migrating internally from the mountains and from the jungle are all bringing their cultures with them and integrating the wino and all this other stuff into the music and all the other cultural aspects that they're creating. Yeah. But I think, Lonzo, you're spot on that like this stuff and the way that it's created happens in working class neighborhoods. It's not happening in Miraflores and Barranca. It's happening much closer to the center of the city and yeah. the poorer neighborhoods. And, uh, and it's not to, let me also say this too, it's not to fetishize that at all. This music no. sounds fucking dope. This music is yeah. cool. It's like a gift to the world. I really feel that way. And uh, the fact that like my parents would be like, nah, nah. it's just, yo, are you listening? <laughs> are you listening with your ears? Because this is cool. And I've listened to a lot of music and trust me, this shit is cool. It, it's, well, it, that's, it's, that's, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah, and I think that's part of it is you have to prime yourself to recognize like the multiple different influences because you have wet western traditions we're going to talk about it but para elise like that is yeah. direct <laughs> that is the western canon being brought to the americas by the spanish by the colonizers but then you have the cumbia rhythm which is coming from africa through the filter of the caribbean yeah. down into yeah. the amazon and into the arid plains of the peruvian coast just like to even understand all those intersections, you have to open your eyes and your ears to it. And, that, and if all you're seeing is the class of the people that are creating it, then you're obviously gonna miss it. Yeah, I don't, so like this song right here by Juaneco y su combo. Do you guys yeah. know what that means? My, <laughs> my grandfather just died. Do you hear that organ? That's not normal. That's not some cumbia. That's some 60s psych rock stuff. And I think that, to me, the really interesting thing is it's like for Americans. So this music has made an impact in, even in American music scene. I think it's been heard by a lot of Americans. And I think it's stuff like that that is like the connection point. That's what I was hoping. It's, I know we did love and we did, we've done so many other like 
records that have these like psychedelic sounds and psychedelic instruments and I felt hey this is the best chance for us to have a connection from some of the other stuff we've been listening to to some indigenous Peruvian music right like some some cool so that point of connection I think is really important as an, an appeal to the rest of the world because psychedelic rock is like an international global phenomenon well I think what's so interesting about this era is that this same phenomenon repeated itself pretty much anywhere and everywhere that people had access to that late 50s early 60s american music anywhere that those records made it people picked up electric guitars and they made their own version of it you have the same thing happening in zambia with the zamrock movement. oh yeah you have it happening in, in latin america with all these different little pockets of psychedelia that are happening there we mentioned it at the beginning of the stream with the Turkish music there's definitely like you take a sitar and you're like hey that kind of sounds like the effects that these people are using and all this stuff reverberates across the world and feeds into itself well they're back around right because a lot of the people that were making the American version of that music in the 60s that had made trips famously like the Beatles using the sitar right like they're taking that and feeding, trying to feed it into their own guitars with fuzz and wah and reverb. And then that comes back into places like Thailand and they pick up traditional instruments and just start destroying it. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, I love these little inflection points. I love these little, like, points of contact where, like, the thing gets subverted in some kind of way. Because the people playing psychedelic rock, like they have the rhythm, the rhythms of cumbia are alien to them. It's I love how this kind of combination, this fusion, really like really works. And it not just that it works, but it took off back then too. Like this music took over. Like this music was yeah. like the work, the music of the working class in that time. And it's picking up again now in a lot of places too. You've got well, bands like Krungbin out of Houston where they took Thai rock and kind of fed it back into blues and they've picked up a lot in the last couple of years for sure i think like the biz the biggest example that i was reminded of was i was listening to vampire weekend oh, again yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago and those first two albums are just like i don't remember what the exact name of that traditional beat is that uh, that ezra is obsessed with yeah. but like it's all yeah. over those first two albums and it's like that world music sound that they just took and interpolated and made it into this glitz indie thing in the late aughts. <laughs> it's just the same thing over again. And it's funny, like you think about, that's what made Santana so popular when they popped off, was the fact that they were taking, again, the levels of recursion that are happening with yeah. them covering a British band's song that is influenced and based on american blues music to get the santana version of black magic woman yeah is that was peter green right yeah isn't it uh, yeah, no I mean, but uh, the original right? right that's what i'm saying yeah no, the yeah. original that's what i'm saying yeah it's, it's pete green peter green excuse me it's Fleet don't you blaspheme it's we did a whole episode writing cool. a blues song yeah and then that getting carried over to the United States and this this Mexican-American guy grabbing his guitar and saying, hey, that's yeah. this vibe that I've heard in my parents' music and riffing with that flavor over it. 
And I always thought that was really interesting how like England became like a blues hotbed for a minute. All these white <laughs> British men became like a, a sizable blues hotbed for just a minute over there. And it's just hold on a second there. Yeah. I'm not ah, nice effort, but I don't know that <laughs> almost all of them big whiff. <laughs> my friends and I were talking about this the other day. Most white boy blues from that era is not good. And then Fleetwood Mac, you're like, oh, wait a minute. You actually grabbed onto something. I think that the reason why Peter Green's doesn't sound disingenuous, unlike you mean your... Pete Green? Huh? Pete Green? Don't you start. Don't, Don't you blast him <laughs> in your own He's house. He's a guest. He's a guest. I think the reason why his doesn't sound disingenuous to me is because I think he, if you watch the documentary, I think he was a person who was also suffering a great deal, even, albeit not the same way that the blues musicians were, but like, just tons of just really difficult things going on with him. And I think that when he sings, quote unquote, the blues, like he really, I think you can tell that he really feels. Well, add on to that, Jenny, like, I think, for example, to me, like, Eric Clapton, he, like, his best music is not his stodgy, like, close to whatever, the blues music he was inspired by. It's the stuff where he took it in a different direction. Like, to me, like, Derek Domino's, that stuff, that's cool. Because he took it in a different direction farther, and he actually sounds like he gives a shit about what he's singing about, which is a challenge for him sometimes. But... But yeah, but like this kind of phenomena, this music being filtered through this sort of environment, through these instruments, and then performed in another place. Because I think a lot of this music and a lot of these bands performed in Lima, right? Many of them performed in the jungle too, but many of these bands, they were from other places and they ended up in Lima. I don't know if you had a chance to like look into the... A surprising amount of these songs have Wikipedia pages in the on the Spanish side of Wikipedia. Oh, cool, cool, right on. So, I don't know why, but that one really stood out to me. I think specifically just because the lyrics for a lot of these songs are very small, they're very limited, repetitive. They're about girls. Sácalo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which, do you guys know, do you, wait, hold on. Wait, sorry, one second, Chris. Do you guys know what that means? I, I got some translations on our car ride yesterday, so I was briefed on the most interesting translations. Um, yeah. I'm gonna take it out. I'm gonna put. <laughs> I think in this context, it more means pull it out. Uh, okay. <laughs> you translated it yesterday. I was just repeating your. There's, there's an urgency. Pull it out. Get it out. Sacalo, sacalo. <laughs> I don't know. It's and there's another one. Lyrically, we were talking about lyrically. There's another one that's that's called Vacilando con Ayahuasca. Okay. You guys, because of like spiritual right. phony baloney bullshit, you guys are familiar with Ayahuasca, I'm sure, or at least know of it. I don't really feel like puking like for 24 straight hours, so I'm good on that one. You only but, puke at the beginning. <laughs> but Vacilando is like a... Very, that's like, you. Can, I don't know, could you get more Peruvian than saying that? Because that's a real Peruvian slang thing, is vacilar is like to chill the fuck out. Hang out. Yeah, chill, to play, yeah, yeah to hang out. Yeah, like we're chilling out. And that one, there's not many lyrics there. <laughs> it's just a girl like moaning and say, I don't know, we'll probably get TOS for this. But uh, so, yeah, you're right to highlight Se Muerto Mi Abuelo because that one actually has something going on. Beyond girls and drugs or whatever. Well, so, okay, let's see. Se me 
ha muerto mi abuelo. So there's so seven, six, six words right there, and then there's six other words, which is tomando trago, bebiendo match, machka. I don't actually, I'm, I wasn't familiar with that one, and comiendo suri. And those last two are like hyper specific Amazonian references. Super. Those are things that if you haven't spent time in that region, which I haven't, you wouldn't know what they are. I had to look them up. And one is yuca beer, yeah. which is fermented in part by chewing the yuca and using the enzymes of the spit, which is a traditional way of, of making chicha, which is the name with, of this with, genre. With corn, typically, is like exactly. your chicha in the mountains. Corn to beer, that's how you start the breakdown of those very tough vegetables to then eventually turn them Chris, into have you ever had the Chris, have you ever had the chicha made that way, by the way? I've never, I don't think I've ever had traditional, like truly traditional chicha. I've had chicha morada, which yeah. is its own yeah, thing. It's its own thing, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, but yeah, the, I don't think I've, I, I've, I've had it. I've had it one time, but I wasn't there when they chewed it or whatever, so I can't verify. But I've had it one time when we were, uh, I took Katie out to Peru and we like were in some little mountain town or whatever. And they had a spot where they were having, they were serving and I was like, oh, we better try it. I, we're never going to probably get a chance, to, or if, who knows if we'll get another chance. It was fine. It, it, yeah. it was all right. It's the thing like, is, like, people talk about... Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, it reminds me, like, when I was in Mexico, there was this thing called pulque. And it oh, was, yeah. And it's like this, it's like, ferment, it's a fermented drink, too. But it's made from, I think, agave? That sounds right. Yeah, it's like a non-alcoholic agave drink. It's, like, real frothy. And, and it's flavored with like things you would not expect, like tomato. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing, and it was fine. It was cool. Katie was like, I don't know if I can like down this whole thing, and I was like, Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, but, I think uh, that's the thing because I think Suri was the one that stood out to me because I was like, All right, like I know that tomando bebiendo whatever, yeah. uh, but then comiendo Suri, and I was like, What is Suri? And I don't know if you all looked it up, but it's it's a grub. It's a palm beetle grub. <laughs> it is not only a blight on the palms that the people in that region live off of, both commercial, commercially and domestically, but it's also, it's this big fat worm that they pull out of the bark of the palm tree because otherwise it decimates their crop. And then they fry them up. They make anticucho de suri. Oh, so, wow. That's intense. Apparently it tastes like hazelnuts, right? Yeah. Apparently because palm heart in particular is very fatty, it's very oily. Yeah. Apparently it's got a very buttery, nutty flavor from, nice. you know, what it eats. Nice. But it's still, it's a bug and it's specifically a worm, which I think in Western culture and by Western like kind of Eurocentric cultures is that's the absolute, one of the biggest taboos is like eating that kind of food and so i don't want to other other eyes or like denigrate those traditions but i thought it was so interesting that that was what they were choosing in the limited, <laughs> limited uh, what may have killed his grandfather his grandmother actually was that one okay okay <laughs> yeah okay so yeah no it's but on the other hand yeah. the grandfather dying from drinking too much alcohol is i feel like very relatable across cultures yeah. yeah. <laughs> C E G Poppy. Oh, which Chris has never met Poppy, and I guess you. I guess Poppy was in Moorfield after we all left, so y'all never probably met him. Either. I don't think I met him. No. Hard same, my guys. Yeah. So yeah, there's many generations of older men in particular that died Poppy drinking and smoking. Got his license taken away for too many DUIs, and he was like 80 years old. So he used to get on his bike and ride down to A and A, the liquor store, the liquor store down on a uh, Fisher Street or whatever. And would ride back and just get a bottle of old granddad bourbon. That was his wow, shtick. Nice. Hey, man. He looked till he was 80. 
<laughs> you live till the Give him a break. But uh, yeah, look, yeah, look, the themes are not like themes that are uncommon themes here, like in terms of like, like it's, it's about girl, girl it's, uh, there's a girl, like I really love her, or like it's a little more explicitly like sexual or whatever. And uh, I don't know, frankly, is it that different, let's say, from like hip hop, like themes? There's a drug song, there's girl songs, there's, <laughs> there's sex songs. <laughs> There's just songs about how cool the sonido amazonico is like an instrumental. There's just, this is cool or whatever. In general, I don't know. Like to me, I don't find anything remotely scandalous. I don't know if you looked into the actual history because when this album was released, which I think was around 2008, this compilation, yeah, it was the first time that a lot of these songs had been reissued since their original pressings, basically, yeah. from what I understand. And part of the reason was that these songs, I don't know, I heard it a couple different ways, but the online Latino culture publication, yeah. they yeah. went through a phase where they were publishing these mini documentaries by this, I think it was a, it's a Berlin-based company called Natural Instruments. And they did a couple on Chicha and like these, these Peruvian Amazonian music traditions. And they were talking about how this music got banned functionally in Latin America pretty much as it was being developed. So a lot of these songs, except for the people that were keeping them alive in live performances around Lima and other parts of Latin America, these songs were not getting played until this publication. Huh, that's interesting, I didn't know that. And that's real sad and unfortunate. I, but I also feel like, look, dude, when, okay, so when I was in, uh, when I would visit Peru, I visit my family in Peru, like, you put TV on, it's highly sexual compared to American TV. It's, it's, yeah. it's girls with no clothes on, basically, like, dancing around in half the programs. And when they would show a movie on TV, like, it was, like, not edited. I don't know, like, now I'm from the post-68, like, obviously, like, I was born in 81, so I'm, like, from what my dad was telling me, before 1968, so in 1968 there was like a military coup, but it was a, more of a leftist military coup. But before 1968, the church, the Catholic church would still like um, edit all sorts of stuff and censor things or whatever. And so like for my dad, there was like a big, that was the point where things completely and totally changed. But as I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, it was not common to see see things you would never ever see on American television. And there's a big distinction in most cultures between nudity and sexuality, which American culture kind of conflates. In a lot of other countries, including Latin America, nudity in and of itself is not a scandalous thing. It's the sexual aspect of these songs that I assume would have been a little bit more scandalous at the time. Yeah. Talking yeah. about non, non-Christian, non-traditional, non-marital relations is what would have gotten these in trouble. Even just mentioning, a, I think it's like the second or third track, that, that song that goes, yeah. like, that, that, there's an implication there, like, I have a woman. <laughs> not my woman, not the woman, I have one, uh, potentially of many. And so little oh implications God. like that would have rankled the, the cultural leaders of that day and probably would have put the kibosh on this movement. Yeah, and that's bullshit and that sucks. And thank God, like, it, it came back around in some kind of way. In some kind of way where, I know some of these original bands, they still play and they still tour and they still like, and I know that this kind of, this music coming back into the, into, into the mainstream eye, at least in Peru, has made a big difference for a lot of these folks. So that makes me happy, but 
Yeah, that's some garbage, man. There's no, you know what? There's no. It's like Americans, like they know, like American conservatives, and yeah, they're super annoying. And we grew up in like the Jimmy Swagger time and all that shit, and it's really easy to like be make fun of those guys. But if there's a group that I dis I dislike and have a deep distaste for more than the American sort of moral social conservative, it might be the Peruvian the Peruvians. Because, dude, those—they're all—they're all like secret members of Opus Dei, also too. That's the other thing, which is just the most evil organization within the Catholic Church, and they have this kind of smug superiority bullshit. It makes me want to just throw shit. And then, and in fact, every time I go to Peru and I run into people like that, I just make it my mission to troll them and make fun of them, if even if they don't know what's going on, because uh, it's more fun that way. The fact that you can be sitting in someone's living room in, in Lima, pretty much any major city in Peru, and I don't think I've ever not experienced this in Latin America, honestly, and it can be like 7 o'clock at night, and a truck with speakers will drive by just like yelling something about Jesus and like reading scripture, yeah. and that's not considered a noise nuisance, that's not considered, <laughs> you know, like, that's why it's just oh, that's just the the pickup truck preacher. It's no big deal. We'll move on to the next block in a couple of minutes. Yeah, no, there's definitely a different expectation. So, my gringo friends, what were your, some of your favorite tracks, and what were some of your tracks of interest? I have my I have our notes here. A Patricia, a Jenny. Yeah, this, I think that was my favorite. It is also my favorite song on this, and it's here, let me play it. Yeah. Oh, that guitar line at the beginning. Very good. Dude. It's very good. And it's also very, like, when if, when you, before I started diving into this assignment, when I had this description of psychedelic songs from Peru, this is what I think about, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is definitely that. So this was just, like, exactly what I thought of example would sound like but also it's just like a very groovable song it's very it reminds me like a lot i actually don't know if there's a good single comparison i can make but it just like really hits that that psychedelic spot from this time like very well in addition to just being like a really enjoyable song what i love about this song too is the mc he's just basically (laughs) saying hey this is the band and this is the song and then he comes in back, he's like, hey, by the way, you're listening to this song, Patricia. <laughs> it gives it a very, f- you're seeing this live. Like a radio, or, yeah, like a radio vibe. Or, yeah, exactly. Like you're listening to it on the radio and like, mm-hmm. which is cool. And that's in the production itself, which is fun and a little different. That was one of the things that I actually, Bert, I'm sorry, Ryan, go ahead. I was just going to say that one of the things that I learned like looking at random little things is that apparently like those ad libs are one of the quote unquote definitive aspects of chicha also the guitar work on this one i really appreciate in particular like the little like it it sounds it it exists in a space that's like closer to the sort of peter green style stuff that's like very near and dear to my own heart like just sonically yeah i I like the the octave column response that's through most of that lick that's on the lower end of the octave upper end of the octave it's it feels very column response between the two so ryan we, you picked my second favorite song at, as, at least to lead off your Oriente? Yeah. So this is yeah. a song that I feel is a little bit weirder than. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it has that great, like, synth 
that runs through it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's got a lot of, like, Western vibe to it. The guitar work, again, pretty amazing, reverbed out. But I love that, like, synthy organ that shows up in it. Yeah. And that, that's a big part of what I love about a lot of this album is the, the synth or organ work through most of it really, like, drives home that psychedelic feel through all of it. So, this song is a little fast, faster tempo, too, than most of mm. all the other songs, which is really cool. I feel like the production value of the song is a little bit higher than many of the other songs. Yeah, I think that's true, though. Uh, speaking of production value, like the uh, number seven on my list, Mi Morena Rebelde, I think. Yeah. I think it's, it comes in like really like full bore, like very fuzzed out and washed out. The low production quality of it really like drives home the intensity. It is definitely, see, that's a wonderful thing it's about these compilations. Like this. It's wonderful yeah. thing about these compilations is you get you just get a different like you get a lot of different quality. These guys weren't recording in the same studio. They weren't many a times weren't recording in a studio. Just mic'd up wherever it seemed like they could get mic'd up. I don't and also I think mo almost all of these were recorded live together. Like they were just so there yeah, there was no multi-tracking happening. Yeah. The only one I can think of maybe that happened in is Muchachita del Oriente because it's that level of production where that synth is so clear. You have to think maybe that was like on a maybe it came in later. Yeah. Well, just was played separately and multi-tracked, and I don't legit don't know what the studio situation was in Peru in the 60s and 70s. If you check out, if the images that are in this mini-doc from Natural Instruments is to be believed, if those are in fact real images from studios in Lima, then, you know, they had pretty legit equipment, but obviously not all these bands were going to have access to what were probably the best recording studios in the country at the time. But there were at least a handful of outfits that were putting out four-track, proper, isolated recording with all the bells and whistles of the era. Right on. I'm gonna maybe move over to Elsa. Before we move on too far, yes, I thought about Muchachita del Oriente a lot just because, like you said, it's faster pace, it stands out yeah. because of the right, quality and personal other reasons. It didn't really occur to me, but I was like, oh man, man, that's got like a real westerny vibe to it. <laughs> it does. And I think like now that I'm thinking about the name, I'm like that probably was intentional because Oriente in Spanish means the West. Yeah. So it totally could have been inspired by a Western. That's hilarious. Yeah, it, def it definitely sounds like it could be like a, I never even like put that together. production value Western soundtrack. I never I even thinking, put that together. Like, yeah, no, I mean, it literally just, I just put that, all that together. Because <laughs> yesterday I was, was he is, is this like a mountain guy talking about a woman from the city? Like, that's is, what, is he that's, talking about a woman from the coast? That's what I was assuming. That's what I assumed too, until yeah. just now Ryan said something and I was like, oh, maybe this is just straight up like we just watched for a fistful of dollars yeah. <laughs> it could be but again okay so like that guitar music from fistful of dollars or from the morricone movies or the westerns the leone westerns that's filtered through surf guitar so it's yeah which which definitely has a place throughout all of this a lot of this guitar work is high reverb like not bridge. distorted high yeah. reverb well, also i think this is something that gets lost if you're not from peru but peru has a huge surf culture 
yes. just absolutely massive because the same currents that create those famous breaks in California is the exact same phenomenon is happening down in Peru and up and down the Pacific coast in South America. And so, it, it, I was going to say, and I think the water is just, it's typically a lot colder, so and, cold. but for sure. And in fact, my cousin's ex-husband was that he was a surfer and professional for a time and then but just obsessed and and i think the, the draw of peru as a surf destination is just that it's less crowded right than a lot yeah, of the I mean, other it's way more brutal yeah and, <laughs> like and you, about... you gotta wear wetsuits and stuff like that like it's it's no joke but you're gonna get amazing waves which is not to say if you ever actually speak to someone who surfs in la they're nine Nine times out of ten, they're going out there in a wetsuit. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It isn't warm water off the coast of California <laughs> either. Humble current is, that's a global current. But yeah, I think we were talking earlier about the recursiveness of this era of music and how things were feeding back into each other. But there's no doubt in my mind that these guys were probably getting some of that surf rock that was coming out of the States and other places out of Mexico. And it was speaking to them because that's what them or some of their friends were doing on the weekends. Mm, yeah, no, that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, didn't even think about that at all. Oh yeah, I was gonna play Elf. Cause uh, yeah, so this was high up on your list, Jenny. Uh, pretty high up, yeah. Care to comment about this one? I, I don't know if I have anything necessarily beyond. It sounds cool. I don't know. Yeah, I, all of the same things that I really liked about like several of these were pretty much the same. It's just, oh, this is one that some of these didn't really, they really connect as well. Like some of those just kind of, I don't know, I don't know what's going on with this one. But there were some that like really by listen seven or eight or even nine, I was really just getting into a groove and this was one of them. Okay, so, so something I think to add also to the context of all this stuff is maybe in the 60s, it was the case, but at least in my lifetime, like, you don't think of psychedelic rock as dance, dancing music. And the thing about this stuff is, I've played it at plenty of parties, and people just start dancing. Like, well, people I mean, just start of, dancing, which is cool. Part of what I do like I, about this one, I guess that it maybe does separate it a little bit from the others, is that it's the really like the rhythms of like way, the way that the lyrics and the music both are pushing a rhythm. So I can see how it would actually move you to dance a little bit. It's a little call and response, right? Yeah. In, in fact, this well, one sound, feels a little to me more Caribbean with the call and response, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It almost has a Cuban flavor to it. And the bass line does that too. It's this three note, where only two of them are played. There's a rest and two notes consistently throughout that bass line, but it, lay, it sets down that like, bass groove right like it just plus the thing to think about when you talk about psychedelic music not being necessarily dancing music i think a lot of like global psychedelic music culture is exactly the opposite of that statement because so much of it is fed back in on a cultural tradition of dance being like an accepted way to spend a Saturday night or whatever. <laughs> In the US, it, it was not about dance. Psychedelic music was about like pushing back against, it was about you know, plugging, the suits and structure. It was about plugging in your headphones into your record player and like vibing the fuck out. But right. that or, wasn't or just thing. going 
or just completely going nuts. As the musician, you're just trying to take it as far out of bounds of like traditional structures you feel like you want to take it. Yeah. And it was still valid. So it wasn't about like dancing. It wasn't providing something like for people to dance to. Whereas, yeah, like Gumbia, that is the basis of what's happening. That's the only thing you on top of it. That's the only thing you better do is get people to dance. If you don't get people to dance, it's not cumbia, right? No (laughs) one's interested. No (laughs) one's sitting around listening to your music. They all want music they can dance to. That's and that because that's the that is the that's what I was kind of trying to get at. It's like we we listen a lot of times in these days like to like headphone music because that's the context in which we listen to music uh, like in general right like we might be working or whatever like for me it also includes like the car like being in the car and like driving somewhere or driving with the kids or whatever but it very rarely and going to shows but with covid obviously in the last three years i haven't gone to nearly as many shows as i wanted to let me put the volume down for good tls um, but, uh, <laughs> Come on, it was really selling your point. <laughs> but so just outside of that, it's not like I'm not going to the cumbia club for better or worse. I'm uh, not even sure that there is one here, but maybe, maybe I bet there is. I don't know. I bet there's someone. I, I feel like you could survive. Like one could get by quite well. I've, 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 I've thought, look, I've got the, I've got my tractor, like my turntables here. Like I've thought, yeah. man, it'd be cool to just put together like a cumbia set. and Speaking play of it tractor. You should just set up at it, see if you can get set up at one of the breweries. Yeah. And uh, need, just DJ a Columbia set. See, here's see the what thing. Happens. I need a critical core of Latin Americans to dance. Because if it's just, I start playing the shit and it's just a bunch of gringos, and no disrespect, of course, I, I love, uh, again, disclaimer, I love all my gringos. But it's just, it's you cheaper need a, every you need time a, you do it. No, but you need a... We are not, like, if you have an emergency, you, you do not call upon us first to dance. That is true. <laughs> yeah. But if you have a critical core, then people can chill out and feel comfortable and then sure. people dance and it's all good. You've got to do it somewhere where there is room to dance. That's and true. So many right. places are just like too many tables. Right. Tables have completely taken over the floor. Too many There's tables. no. Do you, I, I challenge you to name the last time you were in a bar in the United States that had a dance floor or room to, for someone to dance if they felt like it. Dance it just if they felt exist. like it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe a karaoke Not like bar. it used to be. That's true. Like it yeah. used to be. I can remember yeah. like the early 2000s, even like very early 2000s, like bars in Martinsburg would still have like dance floors. And I bet that's if I went there today, I bet that's not true. Yeah. And the sad thing is I hear music I appreciate more in the places I go to now than I did 15 years ago. Oh. If one of these bangers showed up at the bar, what are you going to do? You're going to move tables? You're not going to move tables. You're just going <laughs> to sit there and nod your head and tap your foot at the table. Yeah. And that's going to be the limit of your expression. Yeah. But to, to what Alonzo is saying, like Latinos will move tables. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're not being called upon. You're being called upon to participate in addition to because like i think when people just chill out and they just have a couple drinks see other people yeah. dancing and it just becomes less scary and then it's all good yeah. i've seen it happen many times you need some sauce in there first to just get to get shit going yeah uh-huh. yeah phil collins gets me going every time <laughs> <laughs> okay any final thoughts any f- final thoughts or any additional yeah things I, you wanted to I, say 
I can complain about genre. Can I complain about genre? Go for it. It's a relatively new concept, and it still happens, that music like this in the Western accessibility is referred to as anything more than world music. <laughs> and if I can just if I can just say fuck world music, like fuck the music of the world, but fuck the label world music, it doesn't tell me shit about what you're playing other than I don't know, they're going to sing maybe in another language, you're going to hear an instrument that I don't know, maybe your neighbor doesn't play. Like <laughs> it's so demeaning and limiting. <laughs> And I turn on NPR and there's a world music hour. Uh -huh. I look up the genre of a thing and it may say it's cumbia, but that's maybe a tenth of the time. The rest of the time it is world music. Yeah. And I think about because you guys were talking earlier about music filtering back through other sounds. Beirut was one of those that like picked up some really interesting Eastern European sound and filtered it back into pop music. And it doesn't talk about where that sound comes from. It's world music, guys. It's just a but they're bland from Santa Fe. fucking container. It is, but <laughs> like, I know they're from Santa Fe. But yeah. So my complaint is don't treat people like they're not smart enough to remember a word they've never heard before. And apply it to things that they may hear elsewhere. Yeah, dude. Stop but, calling but, shit world music. But dude, you're look, man. I've been in this country for thirty whatever years. Like you're expecting maybe something that's a little too much, which is too much. All to, right, cool. To like imagine. We got to the excuse. We got to the excuse in five seconds. Great. I will say, I feel like music from Latin America has started to break out of that a little bit. I feel like a lot more Americans are fam more familiar with the distinctions between a corrido and bachata and cumbia and salsa like they may not be able to tell you which category and i might not be able to tell you either but they at least they understand that there's a differentiation there and they might even have a vague idea of what part of the region it's from. I mean, isn't bad bunny yeah. isn't bad bunny like literally the number one artist in the world right now which is insane i'm not like a big fan but that's crazy he just yeah, yeah. he just sold out national spark in dc <laughs> that's nuts <laughs> that's nuts I don't know maybe I should give him more I don't know I just every song I've heard of his is kind of yeah, yeah good for him there's plenty of stuff for me to listen to hey good, good for him. him but the problem with good for him is like people were saying the same shit about Pitbull and dude I can't fucking stand that dude man like I can't like like that shit is garbage man like no human being should be forced to listen to that bullshit Pitbull's just a talented DJ Khaled, but like Bad Bunny's actually doing, he's like gender bending. He's like doing some, some interesting stuff. And I think Por Siempre is a great album. I would definitely challenge you all to do that album one of these days. Oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll, no, I'll you got If you want to start, if you want to start picking, you got to actually join the podcast. You don't get to, like, <laughs> you don't get to backseat drive. It's a suggestion. Uh, it's yeah, okay. a suggestion. No, right. I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Any other? Hey, no, look, dude, I, Ryan, I agree. I agree 100%. I just, on this one, I don't hold out too much hope, just generally. Like, I, you know. I'm not talking about hope. That This was not a conversation <laughs> about hope. This is a conversation yeah. about that's some dumbass shit. <laughs> it's some dumbass shit. That, there's no this doubt. Is an airing of grievances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing I'll, the only other thing I'll just reiterate is I really do feel like there's been a lot of crazy shit that's been going on in, in, in Peru in the last five, six years and really in the last. 40 years and really in the, the whole history of the country 
if we're going to be really honest. But like this music is a gift that we give to the world, and it makes me really proud. It really does. And not in some rah-rah, fly-the-flag sort of shit, but in that this place that I'm from, that I was born in, and that that some of the culture has shaped me as a person can create this stuff that's really unique and and appeals to it's really for everybody it's not for it's not for just us or it's not for it's for everybody it has this danceability it has a really interesting arrangements and it's but it's not like pitbull's music just a real watered down for everybody it's real specific but it's just anyone can enjoy it it's like very true to something, but it's, it's something for everyone. So I'm happy I convinced you guys to listen to this shit for a little bit here. I'm happy we got to it. It was it's really good. And I'm happy I had some fellow Peruvian to hold me down and balance the podcast a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't just a soliloquy by one Peruvian <laughs> attended by two gringos. It was, uh, it was a conversation. It was just a, a dialogue between two Peruvians, two gringos. <laughs> Yeah. I will say to your point, Alonzo, I really appreciated um, Me Roaro Mi Runa Mula. I just wanted to point that yeah. particular title out because although that song doesn't have any lyrics as far as I remember, yeah. Runa is a, a catchall word, and I thought it was cool that there, there was that little bit of, of representation for the Andean population. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And hey, just side note, man, I watched this Peruvian film from 2018 that is all in Aymara, called it's called eternity it is it was so beautiful i never heard of it my cousin actually turned me on to it and it's completely in aymara which is a language that's mostly spoken in southern peru around puno and lake titicaca area but it was so beautiful and then the, just and then it so what we watched this movie together me and my cousin and awesome and then I, I was just like wow this is amazing what is this filmmaker up to and my cousin was like he actually died of appendicitis. Which is not something like fucking, who dies of appendicitis in this country? It's just undoubtedly due to COVID stuff. It was like like a couple years ago, like undoubtedly just due to the lack of hospitals. And, and this is an indigenous dude and, and it's just, so, it's like the story proves the story of un- unbelievable like imagination and creativity in the face of fucking like tragedy, like endlessly. So, Anyway, Alonso, sorry to end it on a down note. <laughs> is that like a, is it just like a different dialect that's still understandable or is it actually like a distinct no, language? No, it's a distinct language. A lot of the Andean languages share a lot, but yeah, it's a distinct thing. So like you, were you watching it with like subtitles? Yes. Or? Yeah, no, I can't speak Quechua or am I? I? Like I know some words, but that's, yeah, no, I can't. In, in, in Peru, I think the three the, those three languages are official languages oh well, yeah, yeah more people speak quechua in Wait, peru than they, in spanish are yeah. they trilingual yeah yeah no, very, i'd say very few people speak all three and i think the majority of people speak quechua in spanish so all three are officially recognized yeah that's, yeah cool. that's right yeah yeah it's just recognizing the reality of the situation <laughs> but yeah no i and i i i never actually went to school in peru so like even if they taught that stuff in, in school in Lima, which I'm sure they wouldn't know. Yeah. My dad said that he got taught. He went to Jesuit schools, and, but oh, okay. he did learn, a hand, like you said, like a handful of Quechua phrases and stuff in school. There, in, in Peruvian Spanish, there's a lot of words that come from Quechua, right? Yeah, so like, mama, yeah. So, like I, so when I was growing up, like the word for naked was calato, which is not the actual common Spanish word for naked, desnudo. 
Galatos. And then there's lots of things like that. The names of foods, la papa is like, that's Quechua. And choclo, which is yep. in Peru, that's the name we have for corn, maize, is choclo. That's from Quechua. So it's a lot of words and a lot of things that we use in that. But I'd say very few that speak all three for sure. And the thing is, it's just how many languages are there in Peru in the jungle? The jungle, there are dozens of languages of different different ethnic groups, dozens of languages. And it also, to just a little history, like Quechua was the language of the Incas, but the Incas they conquered all these different all these different tribal groups that oftentimes spoke their own languages or adjacent languages. And Quechua became the language of the empire, but there were always other Andean languages and there are plenty of places where other Andean languages are spoken that are just small communities that still speak them. 